Turn to 1 Samuel 25. 1 Samuel 25, welcome back to our study on David. And our last discussion on David, if you can believe it, was all the way back November 21st. November 21st, and you you, want to know what's happened since November 21st? We've gone through major, major things like Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, the College Bowl Championship, and my beard growth. Major things, people. And if you remember, all the way back in November, our last time that we saw David, he was hiding in the desert of En Gedi with 600 fighters. And when he was hiding in the desert, it was, uh, it mentioned he was in the crags, he was in the rocks, and Saul came in. I'm not, I'm not sure how, how much you remember this account, but Saul came in. Saul, King Saul, was trying to kill David. And he and his men were going to take David out, and Saul ended up. And here's how you know the Bible is so true, because it gives the good, the bad, and the ugly. Saul walked into a cave where David and many of his men were, and he went into his cave. You you remember this account? Remember this discussion? He went into the cave to go to the bathroom. And while he was in there, now if this were written in modern-day language, while he was in there scrolling through Facebook, all of David's men and David were in the back, and his men were saying, now's your chance, David. Now's your chance to take your enemy out. And chapter 25, or chapter 24 we end up finding a very special truth that we, that we learned back in November. David refused to take advantage of his enemy in his vulnerability. And we learned a big lesson. Here's what it is. I'm going to pop it up on the screen. See if you remember this from way back when. Our true spirituality is tested by what we do when our adversary is vulnerable. By what we do when our adversary is vulnerable. What David could have done in that very moment was a test of where he was with God. And he said, it's not for me to do this. I am not going to take him out. This is someone that God has anointed for the position, no matter how I personally feel about him. And I'm not going to take my personal vendetta out on God's anointed individual. Even when they are in a vulnerable position. And so I ask you, when is our adversary most vulnerable? Think in your mind, who is someone in your mind that you would say is your adversary? When are they most vulnerable? And I'm going to tell you some vulnerable positions for our adversary. Probably the biggest one is when they're not present, right? When they're not present and you're able to talk to someone else about them. That's probably when they're most vulnerable. Or you, know, you want to know another one? online, on Facebook. When you can say whatever you want or you can post that meme, you can drop that bomb on there and, and you, can, you can make sure you get your point across however you want. Those are ways that we can take advantage of our enemy when they're vulnerable. 
Sometimes we can even put a spiritual spin on it, but in the end, it reveals our true spirituality in moments like that. So here we are now in chapter 25, and it opens with the death of Samuel, the prophet. And they all mourn his death, all of Israel, and David and his 600 fighters Move down to the desert of Paran. And so let me bring you up to speed. I'm just going to pop the verses right up here on the screen. 1 Samuel 25, 2 through 3. This is what is going on. So Samuel passes away. All Israel assembled and mourned for him. They buried him at his home in Ramah. Then David moved down to the desert of Paran. So here's the next verses. So follow along. This is just how the stage is set in chapter 25. So here's how it goes. A certain man in Moan who had property there at Carmel was very wealthy. He had a thousand goats, 3,000 sheep, which he was shearing in Carmel. His name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. She was intelligent, she was beautiful. But her husband was surly and mean in his dealings. He was a Calebite. Okay, so here's this account. Now, I know we're not going to complain this morning, but is it a little bit warm in here? Do you feel that? Do you know what happens when you come in from the cold and you come into a warm building? I know what happens. And I just want you to know I am watching you people. I'm watching. Here's how this account goes. There's three main characters. The first one's David. We already met him. David's been running for his life. Sometimes he's been scared to death. Saul's been chasing him down all over the place. He is the next anointed king of Israel. But we don't know how long this is going to take. The next individual on the scene we find his name is Nabal. I don't know. Do you know what Nabal means? I don't know how his parents came up with this name. Nabal means fool. Now, I don't know if this was the name given him at birth or if they had a different name and then when he became a teenager, they changed his name. But whichever, his name means fool. But here's the deal about him. It mentioned he was wealthy. The Hebrew word means heavy you know we would say in our day and age he was loaded this man was loaded and in that day they weighed their wealth by what they had a thousand goats three thousand sheep we have a resident sheep farmer within our church who i thought had just a boatload of sheep right now he has 200 and some late april He'll have close to 500. That's a lot of sheep. Nabal, 3,000 in his day. A lot of sheep. And so here this individual was loaded. However, it mentions he was surly and mean. And so the idea, he had a lot of money and he was foolish. And being surly and mean, he was dishonest. He was demanding, he was deceptive, he was unfair. What a 
horrible combination that all was bound up in this one man. And now we find here's a third person, Abigail. In contrast to her husband, she was intelligent. And this isn't just about smarts. She was wise in her dealings and in her character and in her judgment. And then on top of all of that, it mentions she was extremely beautiful to look at. So let me show you, I know that this is a lot of background, a lot of history, but this is really important. I want to show you a quick map of Israel. This is how all of this played out originally in this account. You might think that this is trite or not really important, but it really is. So the very top red dot, if you can see right under Ephraim, do you see the red dot up there? That is where chapter 25 started that is Samuel's hometown where he was buried in Ramah. That's where everyone was started. It mentions that's where Samuel's funeral was. And David and all of his men and everyone was up there for that funeral. And then it mentions that they all left there and they went to the desert of Paran. I want to show you, I know that the spelling is a little bit different. But the, the desert of Paran is all the way down at the bottom of your screen. And on the screen, it mentions Punan. There's a number of different spellings for it. But it's way below the Dead Sea, this whole desert region of, uh, region of Edom. So it is about a 150-mile trek that David and his men took from Ramah all the way down to um, Paran. And then if you see Carmel up here, you see the middle dot. That is where Nabal and Abigail are with all of their sheep. So here's basically how this played out. There's a lot of narrative in there, and I just need to kind of cut to the chase a little bit with you. So what had happened, David had come from Ramah, from this funeral with all of his men, and obviously, 150 miles with no vehicles, they were taking their sweet old time. And as they're coming down, they're stopping along the way. And you could imagine with 600 people, it takes a little while. So when they stopped at Carmel, they took their time there. And as they were there, they would guard people's possessions. They would guard over the sheep. They would guard over the goats. They would kind of be like bodyguards in a way. They would make sure that people wouldn't come in and steal from them. And so they were a tremendous help to Nabal and even to other landowners to make sure that their possessions weren't carted off. And so during the time that David and his men were at Carmel, Nabal prospered even greater. Nothing was stolen. Nothing was carted off. He didn't lose animals to other animals coming in even and killing him, like Nabal prospered in a huge way. And then David eventually ended up moving down lower into the valley in the desert of Paran. So here's what's going on. In those kind of situations, what typically would happen is the landowner, when they would shear their sheep, or when they would get a bounty from what they had, like a waiter, they would say, here you go. Since you took care of us, since we prospered under you, here's some extra for you and your men because you watched over us. 
back to 1 Samuel 25. Here's how the story picks up. Okay, we have three people. Let's see how they all played out in this account. I want to give you person number one. Here's how it all worked out. Person number one is Nabal. So David tells his men, hey, go up to Nabal. Since we watched over his land, since we watched over his sheep, go on up there. And how about you get that portion that really should be coming to us? Go talk to Nabal and get those goods and supplies that really should be coming to us. That way we can have something for the future. So David's men went up to get some supplies from Nabal. Look at verses 9 through 11. <coughs> Excuse me. Verses 9 through 11. It says, when David's men arrived to Nabal, they gave Nabal the message in David's name. Basically, hey, we helped you. Please help us with some supplies. And then they waited, and Nabal answered David's servants. Who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their master these days. Why should I take my bread and water and meat that I have slaughtered for my shearers and give it to men coming from who knows where? Now, here's the deal. So Nabal, remember? Fool, cheapskate, deceiver, someone who's not going to be helpful in any way, he ends up saying, who is David? Now, let me just tell you, everyone knew David. Everyone knew the man who killed Goliath. And Nabal, though, in his shrewdness and meanness and foolishness says, here's my chance to cheat people that I truly owe. And I'm going to end up keeping something for myself. He insulted David. He ripped David off. He was deceptive and sly and shrewd, and he was able to hang on to his money and cheat people who were a legitimate help to him. And sure, it paid off for him in the short run. Now, G.K. Chesterton once said, men can always be blind to a thing so long as it's big enough. And for Nabal, the big thing in his mind that he was blind to was his pride. He took advantage of so many people. And David was the next in line. Notice verse 11 because he said this one thing over and over. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat I have slaughtered for my shearers? And give it to people coming from I don't know where. Nabal overestimated himself. Nabal was a fool. Here's David. A man of overreaction. This is one thing that blew me away. Let's read verses 12 and 13. You're going to see what happened. So David's men turned around and went back. And when they arrived... They reported every word, and David said to his men, each of you strap on your sword. So they did. And David strapped his on as well. About 400 men went up with David 
all 200 stayed with the supplies. Now, here's the thing that really surprises me. You know how long David put up with Saul's stuff? You realize just the chapter before, David was in the cave with Saul, could have killed him and let him go. And Saul's been trying to kill David this whole time. And then here's a guy that cheats David out of some food. And David says, everyone get your sword. We're going to go up and kill him. Okay. This, this is what blows me away. A man of overreaction. Don't say we haven't done this before. Now, there's many different ways to kill a fly. We've all done this. Sometimes when my deer season's really bad, I really get excited about killing flies in the summer. And um, this is probably one of the best ways to kill a fly. Unless you're from the UP. Then it's the fly strip you hang from the ceiling in your kitchen. Sorry about that, people from UP. Um, Honey, I need to kill a fly. Get the fly swatter. And so you do that. And you know what? You, you kill the fly, and everything around is okay. There's another way you can kill a fly. Honey, I need to kill the fly. Get the hammer. It can be done, people. And you can say, I want to kill the fly. Now, I'm not going to do this because I want to use this next week. But here you go. I think I got him. I think I got him. And guess what? You just might get him. But you know what you're going to do? You're going to destroy a lot of other things around. You're overreacting. And here David, out of all we saw from him all the way through his life to this point, even with Saul, his reaction to not getting the food and supplies is let's go up and take him out. And then it grew from there. Look down at verses 20 through 22. So I'm going to give away a little bit of the story because Abigail goes and tries to intercede. I'm going to tell you about that in just a minute. But notice how this builds for David. Verses 20 through 22. As she came riding on her donkey into the mountain ravine, that was Abigail, there were David and his men descended toward her, and she met them. David had just said, it's been useless. All my watching over this fellow's property in the wilderness so long that nothing of his was missing. And he's paid me back evil for good. May God deal with David. Now, you know you're getting angry, number one, when you're talking to yourself. And then when you refer to yourself while you're talking to yourself by name. That's when you know you're really getting angry. May God deal with David, be it ever so severely. If by morning I leave alive one male of all who belong to him. Here, David is just getting, he's losing it. <clears throat> and I don't know 
all of the why. Sometimes time doesn't help. Can I show you the map again? Here's part of it why. He was going from the valley, the desert of Paran, from the lower red dot. Now this was close to 90 or 100 miles up to Carmel. Sometimes when time goes by, our anger can fuel even more. The more we think about it, the more it festers, the the more the infection grows, we get more and more and more upset. Even that initial response, kind of we keep throwing logs on the fire. You ever have that happen? I know I have, um, I, I have a lot of situations where that's happened. I, sometimes um, with my kids, like I'll, I'll go to pick them up from an event and I'll text them, I'm short on time. I'm short on time. Be ready when I get there at the door. Okay? They text me. Okay. I'll be there in three minutes. Be ready. Okay. I'm here. Okay. Be right out. I'm still here. Just a min. Still, sin. Here, sin. Saying goodbye now. <laughs> Leaving soon. Something important came up. I need a sec. And let me just tell you what's happening in my heart. This is not going in a good direction. And then I end up texting N send. O send. W send. Boy, now. And then I'm thinking, you know what? Here's my last text. I'm coming in. (laughs) And then I get a response. Coming out now. You know, the longer it goes, it's like, ooh, this is not going to end well. You see that with David? His initial response was bad. Don't think it got better with time. It got worse and worse. So we see Nabal. Hey, I think I can rip this guy off. That's how shrewd I am. Actually foolish. He was man of overestimation. And then there's David. What? Man of overreaction. He hadn't been. We just blew it. 
Now, thank God for Abigail. Look, look, at this, look at this lady. What a special woman. The Bible mentions how intelligent and beautiful she was. And, and so I, I mentioned she's a woman of grace. She's a woman of grace. Now, I, I just wish we had more time because this passage is just so huge. And, and really, the section that she covers, thankfully, is the larger part. Verses 14 to 35. So let me, let me just share um, about her. You know, here's where this is grace. Because you might be saying, Brian, why, why, do you, why do you say Abigail's a woman of grace? Because her husband, Nabal, really, she's been putting up with this guy her whole life. David's coming to kill her, or to kill him. She's married to a fool. It's what his name means. She's about to be freed from this albatross. This jerk that's probably been mean to her this whole time. And you know what she needs to do for him to be gone? Nothing. Do nothing. And he is out of the picture. The Lord be praised. She could even just delay and say, I need to pray about it and see what the Lord may want for me to do. Just delay a little bit. And he's gone. Here's where grace comes in. Because verse 18 says, Abigail acted quickly. She jumped on it. Just to, I, have to, I have to jump through this really quick. Like David's going to take him out for not giving stuff. Nabal's going to get what he deserved. Abigail jumps in. She gets 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five seas of grain, 100 cakes of raisin, 200 cakes of pressed figs. And I love this. And she ran toward David. Do you hear, you hear what I'm hearing? I don't know if this is grabbing you like it's grabbing me. Here's the woman that's married to a nincompoop. Here's the woman who's married to a fool. Here's a woman that's married to a man that's taken advantage of people his whole life. Probably her too. And when he's just about to be taken out, this woman rapidly goes and grabs everything she can and runs toward David to do everything she can to rescue a man who didn't deserve any of it. Now just forgive me for a minute. If that doesn't sound like Jesus, I don't know what does. Are you with me on this? Are we together on this? Like I know, I know every illustration breaks down, but we're the fool people. We are the fool. We are the people that have taken advantage and transgressed against God. 
We're the people that have made the mistakes and the sins and the errors. And we have a judgment coming to us. And to be honest, I know for David was rash, but for us would be deserved. And here's someone who's been offended their whole life, steps in quickly and grabs everything in abundance and rushes to the rescue of people who don't deserve it. And that's why we sing about Jesus. That's why we teach about Jesus. That's why we worship Jesus. That's why we give to Jesus. That's why we celebrate to Jesus. That's why your preacher loses his voice about Jesus. That's why we do all of this about Jesus Christ. It's because of what he's been to us. Amen? Come on, people. Are we together on this? It's who it's all about. And this is, this is this whole thing. The one who offended, the one who offended is us, was rescued by the one who has been offended their whole life. Oh, we take two weeks off and I'm like halfway through my message. So let me, let me get to the end of this chapter. Um, yeah. So Abigail comes in with all this. She gives it to David. If you're in your copy of the scriptures, um, just flip over like to verse 32. Because here's, David says to Abigail, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today. To meet me. This is a big deal back then. Because men didn't always listen to women in these ways. Especially an angry man who was ready to show his manliness in taking out another guy. And she came in with all of this and said, please spare my husband. And, and he listened and he said, praise God who sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. Yeah. So David accepts Abigail's gifts, holds back judgment from Nabal, who deserved it. Interesting, uh, verse 36, Abigail went back to Nabal and wouldn't you know it, <coughs> she goes back to Nabal, and, and guess what? Nabal, verse 36, is in the house holding a party like he's the king, and he's drunk. She's out saving this guy's hide, and he's in sloshing down the booze and partying it up like he's the man. And he's too drunk to understand anything that she's saying. So she says, I'm not going to tell him. I'm not going to tell him right now what I just did. I'll wait. So the next morning, <clears throat> he wakes up and he's more sober to understand. And she tells him, verse 37, 
In the morning when Nabal was sober, his wife told him all these things. Notice the text says, and his heart, boom, his heart failed him. Boom, done. And he became like a stone. Probably, technically, he probably had a stroke. Because it says about 10 days later, verse 38, the Lord struck Nabal, he died, gone. So all of a sudden, God did everything that David thought he needed to do. God ended up handling the whole thing all on his own in a beautiful way. David didn't have to do a thing. And then I I just have to tell you, so I was reading through this this past week. I thought this is really interesting. And, you know, because you kind of forget sometimes how Bible stories go. And then I, then I started reading, and I, I read verse 39 and 40. So check this out. Um, so it says, when David sent word, um, when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, praise be the Lord who upheld my cause against Nabal for treating me with contempt. He kept his servant from doing wrong, has brought Nabal's wrong doing down from on his own head. Then it says this. Then David sent word to Abigail, asking her to become his wife. And I'm reading this, and I'm like, what? Because I'd forgotten about some of this. I'm like, I'm reading the Bible, and out of nowhere, it's like a Hallmark movie just starts happening right in front of me. You see what I'm saying? I'm like, and they got married at the end. And I don't like Hallmark movies. I'm like, that's kind of cool. And I'm just waiting for the day that Candace Cameron Bure plays Abigail in a future Hallmark movie. (laughs) But he sent word to Abigail saying, I want you to be my wife. And his servants went to Carmel and said to Abigail, David has sent us to you. What a better entourage that went to Carmel this time than the last time. And he wants to take you to become his wife. So, um, yeah, I wrote this down. Sounds like uh, Hallmark, small town, beautiful woman, stuck with an egotistical loser, finally gets free and ends up marrying the future king. Kind of interesting. Here's what I want to finish with. God blesses. Listen. Listen, please. God blesses the peacemakers. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? God blesses the peacemakers. Not the peacekeepers. Okay, there's a difference. Not the go-along-to-get-along people. Not the sweep-it-under-the-rug people. No, 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 no. Not the hammer for the fly swatter people either. Not those. God blesses peacemakers. Not the one that uses struggles to their personal advantage. Not the avoider, not the deceiver, but people who wisely, lovingly, proactively 
deal with reality to reconcile the things that God loves. God blesses peacemakers. You want proof? I got the words of the greatest man that ever walked the face of the earth. Here's what he said. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. It's Jesus. I want to give you three things about peacemakers that we learned from this. They're fueled by grace. They're fueled by grace. Peacemakers have grace in their DNA. And if you're sitting there saying, but they don't deserve it, check. They're a jerk, check. No one can stand them, check. I do nothing, they go down, check. Looks like they meet all the criteria to be recipients of grace. Hmm. Peacemakers are fueled by grace because Jesus is fueled by grace. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. They're fueled by grace. Here's number two. Man, they look a lot like Jesus. Peacemakers look like Jesus. They sure do. Man, when you see these people, they're attractive like Jesus. They pull people together like Jesus. When you see others, That through their words, through gossip, through slander, that separate, through lies, through distortion, through deception, that separate, you say, what? It's not Jesus. But others look like Jesus. Here's a third. Peacemakers live a blessed life. Blessed. Happy. Filled. Satisfied. Successful. How empty to go around enacting revenge, getting even, spreading gossip, harboring bitterness, but rather to be on the other side where even with the undeserving, You bring peace. Proactively bring peace. And you let God handle the details. Would you stand with me for a moment? Because I believe if God had something in this for me, he has something in this for you. And the first part of it may be to see Jesus as the greatest peacemaker in the world who through the cross has made peace with you and God. And if you've not embraced that, if you've not believed that, if you've not given your heart and life to Jesus, 
the greatest peacemaker of all who bore your sin on the cross. Today is that day, friend. To say, God, I, I believe in Jesus. I believe that I am not at peace with God without him. But he died for me. He bore my sin so I can be forgiven. Talk to God. Give your heart and life to him. Say, enough of me, God. It's you. Be my forgiver. Be my leader. I'm yours. Would you tell him that? That may be your, your thought today. Another one may be, you know what? I need to be a peacemaker. Time to make peace. Not just keep peace. Mm -mm. Make peace. God, help me watch my mouth. Help me watch my attitudes. Help me to be a person of grace, even if they don't deserve it. Can I give you a moment? Would you close your eyes with me? Would you do some business with Jesus right now? With however he impacts your heart today. Talk to him right now, would you? Father, through the huge narrative here, through the maps and the details and the characters, thank you for helping us see the timeless truths and the transforming reality of Jesus. Thank you for being the one to make peace in our lives with you through Jesus. Help us to make peace with each other. God, your name be praised. Be lifted up. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Together we say, amen. You got that right.